You're listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little mud sucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Hellers are the Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Well, whoever you are out there in the wide world, you are in for a treat because this week I had the good opportunity of speaking with none other than Sue Brooks. Now, Sue Brooks is a force of nature. Uh, You wouldn't know it, but she is. Now, anyone that has had the career career that she's had... um, is proof to me that she is a force of nature. But she is a wolf in sheep's clothing, let me tell you. She's such a nice, nice human being Um, and and very um, unassuming, you might say. You know, like I've known Sue now for a little while and... I remember the first time she said something to me about one of the films that she made. She goes, oh, I just made this little film, you know, like you wouldn't, I don't know, you probably wouldn't be that into it, um, blah, blah, blah. You know, just totally talked it down. And then when I've done a little bit of research, Sue has has worked with Tony Collette, Richard Roxburgh, Radha Mitchell. Uh, she's directed Japanese Story, Looking for Grace, uh, Seed Change, A Road to Nil, um, an ordinary woman. The the list is long. She has worked um over a span of time, and to to stick in there and and have a career like Sue, you know, like she's a writer and she produces also, and and yeah, and her partner Allison, you know, they they just have have achieved. I think amazing things. So look, I had the good fortune of speaking to Sue and Sue, if you're out there listening, thank you so much for coming over and, um, and sitting down and, and, and taking a chance and having a chat. I really appreciate it. Um, I won't bang on any more about the chat. I'll just let you have an experience. Um, cause I had a really great time talking to Sue. Uh, so I hope you have a nice time listening to that conversation. Um, what else? The world is a wild place, right? It's just it just seems to just keep getting wilder, hotter, and wilder by the day. Like you know, lately I've been, um, and I don't know why. You know, I'm not into war. I'm not into the violence, but I am obsessed with the Putin chef. You know, the whole mutiny thing and where did he disappear to afterwards and where is he now and how's he in Africa and, you know, Wagner and what they're doing and the fuck, man, they are seriously fucked up. Like, the, just the fact that they're roaming around and, and, and like, it's like they've got immunity and, you know, I just, it's just wild that, that that's happened. What the, the, the blueprint for their business model is next level bad anyway i won't bang on about it but i have been in a few rabbit holes watching youtube's late at night late at night just trying to figure out like what is going on here let alone the ukraine war but um you know and then i i, I want to say like uh you know and then the simple thing like um on bones road they've changed the speed limit right if you're not from around here let's say you don't know but to, to my favorite surf spot they've changed the speed limit and you would think going from it's 80 it was 80 and you would think that they would change it to 100 just so i could get there a bit quicker but no they they already dropped what perceivably felt like a slow speed limit at 80 to 60 
to 60. And so now people that like to drive 10 under, and that's pretty common around here, they're driving at 50. And when the surf is cranking and I've got to drive at 50 k's and my eyeballs are popping out of my head and and, and my adrenaline's just fucking cooked, I, I feel a little screwy. So um, I don't understand how they can just change the speed limit by 20 k's. I don't remember the referendum or the uh, the ballot or the uh, anything like that there. But um, these are the things that keep me awake at night. Yes, deep breaths, deep breaths, keep calm and carry on. I hope you enjoy my chat with Sue Brooks. Sue, thank you so much for coming over, and I'll see you on the other side. Okay. You think this Adios. is interesting? Wow. Wait till you hear two hours of crap. A complete and total farfarama. Anyhow, Benny goes right in the middle, and if you go straight up, one hour from there you get to Pyramid Hill, which is this tiny little town, about 800 people. Going north? North, yeah. So yeah. would you be going towards Echuca? No, Echuca's a little bit over to the east. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah, no, it's that general direction. Yeah, yeah okay. What a, a nice place to grow up. Well, yeah, no, it was pretty good. <laughs> it was pretty good. It was a bit boring. Were but... you on... Were you parents farmers no um they had a um little well um they had a general store i guess you'd call it we called it the milk bar and they used to sell milkshakes and sandwiches and everything but really what it was was sort of like a mixture little mixed business which were very you know that's what country towns had a lot of those in those days was it a post office no the post office was literally right next door yeah the funny thing is that there was a post office right next door, but even though it was literally right next door, they still had a post office box that they used to go and open their post office. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, understand that. Anyhow, they opened their little box and got their mail out and brought it back in next door. But um, anyhow, so it had, um, you know, fruit and veggies and few groceries and lots of lollies and, yeah, and milkshakes. Bag. Yeah, mixed bag, yeah. yeah. And I have lots of memories of just being in that shop. It was owned by my grandmother, so my father's mother, and her husband, Ted, who was her, he, my father's stepfather and my father, and they ran the shop. It was called The Shop, you know. So, so when did your great-grandmother take it on? My grandmother took it on. Oh, your grandmother, she, sorry. Uh, I think she probably took it on in around... Um, around 1945 or something like that, around the end of the war. She 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 was married, obviously. She had three sons and then her husband died and then my father, who was the eldest son, went off to the war He and he came back and he, well, during the war, met my mother. And in those days everybody was excited to get married in a hurry because they thought they were going to die in the war. So he got married and then my grandmother got married a week later in, at the same church, I think, uh, to the, her second husband, Ted. So I always think that's a funny story that it, they got married so close to each other. Mother so my, and daughter. Pe- my, parents, my parents got married and a week later my grandmother remarried her second husband. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Weird uh, when you think about the mindset of 
you know, I was just reading yesterday, was it this morning, that Russia is expanding the age bracket of its conscription oh. to 30. Oh. And I just was thinking, oh, my God, mm. you know, could you imagine? And then that's what they were living through mm. I know. at that time. And it's just like I was yeah. trying to imagine this morning whenever I read the article, like if, if I got that letter or my brother got that letter, yeah. I just would be like, yeah. Run for the hills. I know. Unless we've been invaded. Well, they are, of course, yeah. But, I mean, oh. the First World War was even uh, what seems to me even more shocking, you know, like they, they were just plucking kids off the farms, you know, like in that little area that I grew up, there was whole families of young boys that went off to the First World War and they just sort of sent over the over the trenches and killed and shot and then they'd get another lot and yeah. do the same thing. Over in Europe, you know, like... These boys were out on farms in the Mallee, you know, yeah. minding their own business. Shooting rabbits. Shooting rabbits and <laughs> growing wheat and bagging wheat and yeah. and looking after sheep. And and I remember reading some of those letters and they would say, writing back to their mum saying, Mum, I don't think, you know, Jimmy, I don't think you should let Jimmy come. Our family's already given too much, you know, like because all, all the brothers had already died and... He didn't want the next one to arrive and die, you know. It was cruel. It's so cruel. Like, yeah. And you then you look at, like, how we are today, you know, and I don't know if you said, like, uh, just in general, I'll just give it a broad status quo of how things are taken for granted and just the entitlement and the expectation oh, of certain no. things. Yeah. And sort of like it just boggles your brain a little bit when you just step back and just look at how much we've shifted in really short time. Really short time, isn't it? Like that's, yeah, really short time. Only yeah. 200 years of white stuff here and so much has changed in that time, you know. Oh, I mean, I would say we've wrecked it. Oh, yeah, a lot of that too. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, and I unfortunately get into these debates a lot and it's just a it's i I can't i'm not very scientific but i get always like um i don't even know the stats but i just have an energetic feeling that we've got it wrong yeah yeah that's a good way of putting it isn't it yeah we've got so much of it wrong yeah you only have to go along that freeway into um you know into melbourne and you know you go past that big sweep that goes past um, Geelong on the right there, and there's these great, big, enormous houses carved into the, and then these great, great big fences being carved along, in into the hill and back again. You know, the sound it's, for the noise or something. Are they the noise I don't break know. ones? No, no, I don't think so. No, I just mean they're fences to fence off their houses. And oh, you, yeah. and every time I look at it, I think. There's something seriously wrong about us doing this, you know. Like, I mean, we're—I'm not saying we don't. I do it too, you know. We've got our own fence that we look after and everything. But there's something wrong about the, the whole that's subtle, concept. Though. Yeah. <laughs> well, you just see that one on the Geelong Freeway, and every yeah. time I look at it, I just think, oh, what a mess! And the houses are so big, really so big. Mm. Um. We could jump down this rabbit hole for quite a while, um, but I'll just draw back to the shop, the milk bar. Oh, yeah. And so you did primary school up there yeah, and high school? Yeah, I got on the bus to go to high school and the, the 
Um, so I did five or six years on the bus and that was an hour and a half to school and an hour and a half back every day. Mm. And it was hot. Mostly it was hot except for winter when it was freezing. But mostly I remember it as being really hot with these vinyl seats, these tiny little vinyl seats that you sweated all the time. Were you up the front or the back of the bus? I was up the back because I was one of the high school kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then there would be two of us sitting on this seat and then we'd pick up the little kids from the farms on the way all the way into Kerrang. And then they'd all fill up the front seats and then there'd be too many of them. So then they'd start moving back to us. So there'd be three of us sitting on these little seats, you know, there were two grown-up kids, me being one of them, and then this poor little wriggly thing in the middle between us that was, you know, didn't yeah. want to be with us, hated it, you know, for an hour, you know, poor little kids. I, I, I can. I lived half an hour out of town growing up in the country as well. Where were you? Uh, about 30 k's northeast of Benalla. Okay, and yeah, so yeah. it was half an hour on, in a car. So it was about an hour in the bus. Just the same deal, just picking up yeah. people along dirt roads. Yeah. Heading on in. Yeah, and that long dirt roads, they used to come down and then they might get a, a an old tank that they could sit in to stop, you know, to, for protection. You know, oh, they'd, yeah, yeah, They'd yeah, put yeah, a tank yeah. on the side, you yes, know, and that'd, yeah, be yeah. That, that'd be their protection for the yes, day. Yeah. For rain or something, if yeah, they had to yeah. wait. Yeah. Yeah, we never had such a luxury. There was nothing at our stop. Wasn't there? <laughs> no. And if mum and dad forgot, you'd have it was a literally a forty minute walk home. And so if they had yeah, anyway, there's a couple of those ones kicking rocks down roads. Um isn't that funny? And so when uh in high school, what was were you academically driven? Um no reasonably so. I guess I was just trying to think with how I'd yeah, I guess so. I, you know, I did okay at school, um, and I loved, you know, art and literature, and quite like maths in those days. But um, when I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I left school, and they used to have those career advisors come and talk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I sort of defaulted into going nursing because my mum had been a nurse, so I went off and did nursing. Um, but that was sort of like that at that age that was sort of the only way you could get out of pyramid hill really either it was either that or work at the store <laughs> and um so i went off nursing and kid and girls my age didn't go to university much in those days i mean they did but not as much as these days where you know it all changed a bit yeah and did you where was university I didn't. I went nursing. Oh, I, so there wasn't schooling for that. It was like just straight hands on. Oh yeah, no, it was in the in the old days. Yeah, yeah, where you did um, um, training at the hospital. So I trained at the Alfred Hospital. Yeah. In in Melbourne. In Melbourne. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Was that a big? Yeah, yeah. I was nervous, Nelly. Yeah, thrown out of the nest. I was seventeen, and. Um, came down to Melbourne and I was all just like my eyes were like saucers, you know. I didn't even know how to use a washing machine. I I can remember bringing mum up and saying, I don't know how to use the washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> I think that came down and showed me. Um, but I was okay, you know, I adjusted, grew up in a hurry. Mm. Um, and we all did, you know. We were all sort of thrown in for the... It was hard work, you know, like you started in those days they did this thing called preliminary training school, which I think was eight eight weeks. Then after that you went straight into the 
wards and you were working. So you were 17 and working and you were, you know, taking stitches out of wounds or, um, you know, feeding old men and cleaning their false teeth and (laughs) delivering pants and taking them away and cleaning them and dressing wounds and things. Well, we were just babies, you know. Night shifts as well? Night shifts as well, yeah. How would you fare on those? Yeah, it was scary. I remember the first time when I was on night shift and I was I was in charge of the ward. This is a bit later on. And somebody had died and I had to ring up and tell their tell the relatives that their father had died. I was so nervous and so upset for them that I cried <laughs> telling them <laughs> this, this poor relative on the end of the phone. I mean, I would have been, I was probably 20, but I was still pretty young, yeah. you know. yeah. Yeah. Well, it's sad. I it was get awful. it. I totally get it. Yeah. I was so upset. I'm surprised that that, that fell on your responsibility. Well, I was in charge. You oh, know, you're, you're yeah, in charge yeah. on night shift. You know, they used to work us like the labourers we were. Yeah, they worked us hard. I think they still work them hard. They do. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Uh, mm. You know, the whispers that uh, the nurses and the hospitals oh, are gosh, really... Yeah, yeah, no, it's terrible. And all wearing all that PPE and everything must be just terrible. Occasionally you see them on TV and you think... I mean, I have trouble wearing a mask to go to the supermarket, you know. Imagine what it's like wearing yeah. the suit, the mask and the shield as well. It'd be awful. Mm. And the whole COVID fiasco. Um yeah, has loaded up the system. Mm. Still, yeah. still, yeah. still strange. So you did nursing for how long? I did. Um, did three years training here. Then I went overseas with a whole bunch of mates, and we went to um, Africa. Lived in Africa for a while. Lived in Zimbabwe, which was called Rhodesia then, and um, nursed there. And then travelled through Africa a bit, and then went up to London and I did theatre nurse training up there, so I was a theatre nurse for a year. And then I came back to Australia and I got out of it then. Can I ask, what, what decade are we in here? We're in the 70s, in the 70s. Was Af- Africa must have been pretty raw then. Well, it's still raw now, I mean. I don't know if it's not even more raw now. Right. Sometimes I see footage of Africa and I think, be pretty scary going there now. I mean, it was very strange being in Rhodesia, which was now Zimbabwe, of course, because it was white. You know, it was white, white rule, so to speak. Ian Smith was the in charge, and so all of the African people that we came across were um, people who ran the farms, who did all of the labouring and the. They did all of the labouring around the hospital, but they weren't they weren't in any of the senior jobs, you know, obviously. Um, so politically they were really oppressed at that stage and we were we hadn't seen anything like that in Australia. Australia was different then too. Um, so we were a bit bewildered by it all. And then and it was probably a strange way to have gone to Africa. We should have gone further north first and then gone south because because we'd been through South Africa and Rhodesia, when we started trying to go to the more northern countries that were more um, politicised by that stage, they weren't happy about the fact that we'd already been in South Africa and Zimbabwe. So we used to have to sign forms saying, 
um, we denounced the illegal regime of Ian Smith in, in order to even get into the next country, you know, which is fair enough. Um, but then we started meeting more African people on a more equitable arrangements, you know, arrangements. In fact, you know, a lot of the people we met in Malawi were African doctors who'd been uh, over the colonies and trained. Um, and so that changed our whole view of Africa and our relationship with it. But that first year or so, we were just... In a, in a good way? In a good way. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. in a good way. But that first year, we were living like white barners, not really understanding what was going on because we were we were the, of the privileged set, you know, and we were totally bewildered by it. Like, for example, we'd go and stay at this friend's place who'd, uh, who had a farm and... Um, and these 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 guys and these women would come and serve us, you know, dinner, and take our meals, take out. It were like we did. It was all like, you know, well, we we could do that ourselves, really. Like we yeah. would like, um, yeah. anyhow, that was you know they were it was interesting, but it was certainly and they these those people the Africans that I'm talking about now, they were living in, um you know, mud huts with thatched roofs while the people who were employing them, the whites, who were lovely people, and don't I'm not meaning to be critical of them, but it was just what was sort of the world was like at the stage, but um they were living in these sprawling mansions, you yeah. know. And what were they uh there? Were they doing like growing sugar cane they or would, tea or sugar cane sugar and cane. tobacco. Yeah, tobacco, okay. Mm, a lot of tobacco. Uh mm. Did you smoke then? No, not then. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's when I learned about how you grade tobacco. So there was different grades, there's really good grades of tobacco, you know, A, B, C, D grade. And then the final grade is the stuff they sweep off the floor at the end. Oh, the chop chop. <laughs> yeah, the chop chop. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't smoke anymore, but I, like, I, I, um, I tell you what, I really enjoy it. I can imagine. Yeah. It's a bit like your coffee, isn't it? It's like a coffee, yeah. I I smoked during the stages where I really wanted dope and then I had to sort of get used to the tobacco in order to get the dope, but then I gave up dope as well. So Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually that's quite a lot few people's journey through it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only way I can get my dope, I'll have to have the tobacco, yeah. <laughs> um okay, so then you you've come back and you decided no more nursing? Well, I got a job um, working for a, a company where we sold heart valves and things like that. And heart valves? Yeah, yeah. So you went into the other side? I of... went into the other side and I had a, a good job and I had good mates in that time and I really enjoyed it. But it was... Um, uh, that's when I really decided that I'd really sort of taken too many forks away from being creative, if you know what I mean. So I was really suffering by not having any creative aspect to my life when I was working in that job, even though I loved the job and the people there were fabulous. Um, and so I took, I did um, a diploma in photography then and that's when I started to get interested in film and then after that, I applied to go to the film school in Sydney and went up to Sydney and gave up all of that and headed off in another direction. So photography in Melbourne mm. and then film school in Sydney with any, like, specific area or was it just well, a generalisation? Yeah, I started off in um, – I did 
um, photography at the Photography Studies College in in Melbourne, and then because I was re- reasonably good at photography, I then managed to get into the camera workshop at the film school, and they had you know like thousands of applications, and they only took five in those days, um, and. Um, Yes, yeah, so I got into the camera workshop and there was five. So this gives you an idea of the feminism that was at play. Um, there were five of us that got in, four women and one man, <laughs> one bloke. So four four girls got into the camera workshop and one bloke. So, you know. Hold on. Hold on. What's wrong? Well, no, you said the um, the feminism that was at play at the time. Well, I thought it was the other way around at that no, time. No, no, it was kicking in pretty strongly at that yeah. point. You know, like people were starting to think, you know, this is a serious... It, it, it was... it. There was a lot of toing and froing, but they had enough of a sort of a um, positive attitude to the fact that women could do it that they got four of us into the workshop at the one time. So anyhow, it was fantastic. I'm still friends with some of those those women. Um, and then halfway through the um, course, they decided that at those those days they used to have a camera workshop, an editing workshop, a sound, a, um, I can't remember all the craft areas, and they didn't teach directing. They didn't think, oh, they had production, that's right. That They thought, they sort of felt like directing would be just something that would come to you by osmosis, and maybe it is in a way, I don't know. Maybe I'm starting to move back to thinking that wasn't that stupid. But at some stage, the film school then decided that, oh, okay, we teach all these other things. We should teach directing as a craft. And so they decided to set up a director's workshop. So having gone through a year and a half of being in the camera workshop, you then had to apply to get into the directing workshop, which was even like harder than getting into the camera workshop. Anyhow, so I applied and I got into there and um, that's when they started. They were teaching fairly old-fashioned but really solid directing skills about, particularly about directing performance and very particular about directing camera and how to, how to, how to manage the flow of information through a scene and things like that. So I did a year and a half of that. So by the time I'd finished, I'd done a year and a half of camera and a year and a half of directing. So y- your skill set is like really, it's pretty unique. You could be a DOP as well. No, I lost that skill along the way. Okay. Yeah, no, seriously, it's just, um, I, I, I mean, I did still do photography. Yeah. But to be a DOP these days is like, well, you know, it's just, there's so much to keep ahead of. Like all of the stuff that I learnt was about how to load all of these 35mm cameras and 16mm <laughs> yeah, cameras. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I could, you know, there was about 20 different cameras, film cameras we had, and we had to learn how to load all of them, you know, in the black bags and everything, you know, and that was a skill set. And uh, so, But then it became redundant, you know, like yeah. nobody does that anymore. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. And so were they teaching you about focal lengths and all of that? All yeah. Of that? yeah, yeah. So, you know, I had a really sound knowledge on, you know. Because that still fo- serves? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, now I'm as bad as anyone else. I'll just get out the iPhone and point <laughs> it in the, roughly the right direction and hope it gets it. Do you know what I mean? Like, and every now and then I... I see, like, the other day we were on a trip and I see these beautiful potential photos because 
the light is stunning. And I think I should stop and take that, but I don't anymore mm. because I've just got lazy to it, I think, you know. And I suppose the whole other area takes so much energy, so you don't, I don't do it as much. But the day I stop and I go out there and I do it, I just fall in love with it again because I feel like there's something, well, you'd know, but there's something, you know, from your filmmaking, it's, there's just something about being in the presence of that light and being mm. aware to it and stopping and being with it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Do you, when I do with it. those photos, do you print them? No. Keep them on the computer? Mm. Yeah. I should. <laughs> do you? Well, you know, I also love photography and um, I'm on Instagram. Are you? No, and it's a saturated platform, yeah. and it it does not uh, inspire me to take photos because you see you get so saturated. It's yeah. so saturating. That's right. That even yeah. when something beautiful falls in front of you, yeah. you f- give it five seconds, yeah. and it's not enough, and you flick again. Yeah, and then I just always think. See, that's the that's the thing that really I found really hard is that that I started to think, oh yeah, that's a good photo. Uh, like you say, have you read that book, Four Thousand Weeks? No. Yeah, it's no. fantastic. It's about somebody trying to come to terms with how much time you got on the universe and how you use it. But one of the things he talks about is he talks about many things, but one thing he talks about is this particular art teacher who asks you to do a an exercise which is to go and find a painting in an art gallery and spend three hours with it Hmm. and um i haven't done it yet but i completely get it it's like our our lives have become so like you say that you know you're absolutely right about instagram it's so saturated i remember seeing somebody's work the other day and it was stunning he showed it to me it was stunning but i'm going yeah oh god that's good oh no that's good and i'm just flicking past it as if i'm it's tinder or something you know yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. like you know, <laughs> I, I it's know. like i can't even stop and i guess partly it's cuz it's on a little phone and it's you know the likes mm. How many? It's something feels so. I'm on it, and yet it feels so icky. I have a phone when I'm not working that is just talking text, so I can't look at it in public because I catch myself in the supermarket aisle uh, queue waiting for the checkout, and I'm looking at it, and I don't know what that is because I hate it. Yeah. And I'm like, this is it's too much. Yeah. It's uh, I'm aware of it. And what you just said then about three hours with a painting. It's a step further than, you know, the artist way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the artist date. Yeah. That was a really foreign and awesome thing that um, yeah. when I in- incorporate that into your life. Yeah. That, your, yours is a step further than that. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But having said that, that still doesn't detract from the moment when you stand on that beach and that light is just stunning and you are aware of being here now with that light. That, that that's that you can stay with that more than five seconds, can't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's um, that's the internal journey, which mm. is the satisfying part, I yeah. suppose. Right, rather than 
looking for the validation in the silly platform. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, Alison always says to me, oh, you should do this with your photographs, you know, and people are but have you seen what's out there? There's so much already out there. It's just, like you say, saturated. But to go into a space and stay with it, um, that's not saturated. That's no, no. That, that's just you and yeah, yeah, you and it in time, isn't it? I, I um, there's nothing in here that, but I quite often I've got lots of prints around, and that that feels validating when yeah. I find something that I like yep. that I've taken, and then I put it on the wall. Okay, yeah. Um, that's a nice. I think that's a nice process. Yeah. And so, I, you can, I mean, if you had enough, there's a um, there's a new gallery up here next to the. Certain, mm. Have you been in there? Yeah, the hoop gallery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah I go there. You could have bit, an exhibition. Yeah. Except I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I know I have. Um, I do know that that mob, and I have said I will talk about a film one day. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, so then the directing course, was that like, I don't want to, you know, get stuck on it at all, but I love it. I love talking about this stuff. And so was that like, um, you know, minutiae, obviously it's minutiaing how actors are talking to each other. And then, but then is it like, all right, get, you got to get your wide, then punch in for a, you know, medium close. Was it that sort of stuff? They did a bit of that. They spent a lot of time, it's a while back now, but they did spend a lot of time on breaking down the, um, Stanislavski technique um, which they were in love with um, and which I was at the time um, and they brought out a Russian um, lecturer called Yevgeny Lanskoy and he he used to break all of the moments or and, and as consequently so did these teachers break all of the moments down into an analysis of the change of action so being an actor you know what I mean by this so that you you have a certain want in a scene and then you get new information and then you move into an, and that new information will be, um, gosh, it's, it's funny how much it's embedded in my brain even though I've rejected it now. But anyhow, <laughs> so you get the new information and then you make a decision that sometimes it's very quick but you make the decision of whether that information is good for me or bad for me and then you shift into a new action and sometimes that new action takes you into another choice of want in that scene so you know i want to impress now i've got some other piece of information on oh this is really going bad or going good or whatever and then i want to do something else i don't know what it would be so it was a very analytical process and it was fun and we thought we were learning a lot and we did learn a lot and i still notice it at act in in um actor's behaviour in scenes, in work now when I watch TV, when I'm, especially if I'm a bit bored with a show, I can watch what they're doing. But as, um, but I did find it slightly deadening. I, I don't know if you know what I, you would have known this from acting. It It's, I used to see lots of scripts where people would say, you know, I want, and then it'd be crossed out. I need, I be crossed out. You know, a change of action, whatever. And there'd be this sort of over, over, overwritten sort of um, Intelli- process. Intellectual. Yeah, intellectual. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what happened to me was that I came out of film school and I came down to Melbourne, and then I got into another job, and then I met these people who would had 
who was in theatre, who had a whole different approach to this, and they brought out a um, a French teacher from Paris called name's gone Philippe Gollier, and Philippe had previously been teaching with Lecoq in in France, and his whole approach to performance was not about anything about the brain was all about the body and it was also about pleasure so it all had to be about pleasure so if somebody was in the grip of pleasure while they were doing something then the performance would be alive but if they're not he would say it's shit get off the stage you know move (laughs) off you know you're crap and then someone else would come on so we'd do these workshops where we would come on and do work as actors and then experience being in the moment and in, in a state of pleasure and, and being embodied in the performance. Um, and then if it didn't work, you would be thrown off and then someone else would come on and have a go and thrown <laughs> off. And, and all sorts of famous actors would do this. Um, Barat does it, um, uh, his partner, I'll think of her name in a moment, um, Jeffrey Rush was did it. You know, different. A lot of people have done, uh, Emma Thompson. Lots, lots of people have done this work and found it a liberating process of how they work. Yeah, it was a long rave. So what happened then was I started changing my whole approach to directing as a result of that. So you learn a whole stack while you're at the in- institution, and then you come out and then you start to learn again. And you, it's a bit like clothes. You know, that you find things that suit you and you're comfortable with it. So. That's my journey of my approach to performance. So, uh, completely. And then sometimes you can pick up a piece of some writing, and you just like, I am. This is. I, I want to say these words. Ah, oh, yeah. And then other times, I'm like, it's like at the negative end of a battery. I can't. I can't. You know, I can't <laughs> get it in. It yeah, doesn't yeah. stick. Yeah, yeah, nothing. yeah, yeah. And, well, see, Philippe would say that if I want to say these words, then. You're already starting on that journey of being in a state of pleasure, obviously, because it's yours. You want it. I want it. I want want to do it. I want to do it. I want to show you how I'm going to do it. You know, this is how I want to do it. And I can remember doing things like just silly little things that Philippe would do. Like um, I always always sound weird when you're talking about it, but different when you do it. But um, say he would ask you to be a coffee grinder, you know, like make the noise of a coffee grinder, you know, and and. If you were really enjoying the moment with him and you had and you would you could arrive with it, you could really do it with great pleasure. And you would you would want to be and you would be at that moment the best sounding coffee grinder in the world, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd go for it, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um or he, he and he also creates a safe space too. By yeah, absolutely. Of, you know, yeah. Like, you know. Safe in that, and interestingly about that question, safe, you know how we always think safe is as in supportive, Mm -hmm. as in, you know, we will not hurt you. It would almost be the opposite, the mirror image of that. So it would safe because he would say it was shit. Mm -hmm. And guess what? The sky didn't fall in, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, everyone's shit. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right, we'll start again. I just there's something so special about people who are so tuned in on that level mm-hmm. of uh, connectivity mm-hmm. and whether you're in in there yeah. or you're pretending to be in there yeah, yeah. and the subtlety but the difference 
Richard Pinter was my uh-huh. se- second year teacher in New York. Yeah. And he, something you said earlier, he was always saying to me, uh, you got uh, to go with the heart. The brain is a whore. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and he was also someone that I could, you know, that what you're saying, he was so, um, I, I, like I always wanted to do well. Yeah. Because. Burden. Yeah, the burden, the total burden. But also, you know, he w- he was just such an enigma to him as well. And so it was sort of like, and he would tell you straight out when you were shit too. Mm-hmm, and so it would mm-hmm. make you work harder and harder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then sometimes it gets a little bit too cerebral. Uh, and what, and then you go back to what you're saying then. Where's the fun? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah. is that fun? Yeah, when I say Philippe would say it was shit, it was like... Uh, it, it it meant next. Let's try the next one. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, have another go. I mean, you know it from... I mean, you must know it from surfing and things like that. Oh, you, know, you know what? You know, yeah. You know. Today, I had the worst surf I had in two months. Uh, and it was really good. Uh, I just was not... And I've been really feeling good about surfing lately. Like, yeah. I've been really... Yeah. I'm feeling like I'm on point. Yeah. <laughs> and today I really... And I, don't know, and I don't know what that was, you know. I stretched. I did all the things this morning that I normally do. and just So you, you had a bad one. Just couldn't find the... It was, was out of rhythm with the ocean. Yep. Um, well, see, I don't surf, as you know, because I'm... I see you guys with the boogie boards. We go out with our boogie boards. <laughs> but you know, even... And the limited things that we do, I know the difference between seeing a wave and catching it on a boogie board and being too early or too late. You know, to me that's, well, you know, apart from what the ocean wants to to offer up. You know, it's like it's a sort of most, that's all it is, you know, just catching that wave, isn't it? And, like, you see it coming. And if you are in the moment... You'll catch a good. It sounds embarrassing. I hope no one ever sees me boogie boarding. But if you're in the moment, you'll catch it at at the right time. If you're worried about your mate and whether your mate's going to catch it or whether that woman's going to get in your way or those kids are ever going to move or um, <laughs> or if I'm going to get dumped or whatever, you're bound to miss it because you've gone straight from the energy of you and the wave to your head. Mm. Oh, God, that's embarrassing. I'm telling a surfer about Surf. surfing. Because, no, 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 but you know I, what I mean. I'm look, just trying to talk about it in my simplistic understanding of from a boogie boarding. No, that's correct too. You know, and so sometimes, some days are diamonds. That's all I can put it down to. Some, you know, you just can't win them all. And today I just didn't, you know, I just had a shocker. And, but that's okay. Yeah, that's, that's okay. It, yeah, yeah. Know, yeah, as, as and... Philippe would say, next. Yeah, yeah totally next. <laughs> yeah. <Moving on>. Tomorrow. <laughs> Well, I'm just going to get out, go home, have a coffee, some eggs, and it's okay. Yeah, yeah. it's okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so then um, this has been a journey. Yeah. Been a bit of a journey. Yeah. yeah. So um, once you'd finished the directing part of school, how long mm-hmm. between then and and directing your first I think I think we came out of um, film school and probably about three years later or maybe less, not sure, made a short film called An Ordinary Woman and that did really well. It's a very strange film. It was on at the Melbourne Film Festival last year as a, you know, in a retrospective thing. 
Um, it won a lot of awards, but it's very odd. Even I think it's odd. When I look at it now, I think oh, it sort of made a lot more sense when we made it. But anyhow, it's 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 a sort of an analysis of what it means to be a person, meaning a woman, and the, all of the different aspects of your life. So it's played by, it's fictional, but it draws on lots of um, autobiographical details, both from Alison and from me. Alison wrote it. And it's about... Say uh, it, it's the complexity of life. So you can be a mother, you can be a sister, you can have regrets, you can have passions, um, you can have all of these strange memories, um, and all of that clusters together, and that's a life, really. And so it's called an ordinary woman because we made a fictional account of an ordinary woman's life, and it's a, this cluster of moments. It's a short. It's yeah, I think it goes for about thirty minutes. That's not short. It's about not sure how long it goes for, to be honest. Anyhow, Denise Scott played the main person, and she was fabulous, and um, it sort of resonates in a way. Yes. Is, is that where you why um, you said you went to Sydney the other month for a retrospective? Oh, that's no, that was for another film. So the the one in Sydney was called The Drover's Wife, and that was another short that I did was my final year short at after so back going back earlier. And that was um, so. That's that's a bit of a complex story too. But it's there's the Henry Lawson short story, and then there's the Murray Bale short story, and in between there's the Russell Drysdale's painting, and then Sue Kostreek, who's another writer, and um, wrote an adaptation of the Murray Bale short story. But we sort of moved it away a bit, a bit more of a feminist spin on it. And then after that, Leah Purcell has made a extraordinary film called The Drover's Wife. Have you seen that yet? It's which is now an, it's got an indigenous spin on it as well. So um they restored it the F- Sydney Film Festival and the um Australian Film and TV and Radio School restored it and they put that on up in Sydney the other day. So I went up for that as well. So I've had that restoration and the restoration of an ordinary woman last year or retrospective of it. And then this year we've got Japanese story in the... In MIF. In MIF. How yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. I didn't tell you. No, you didn't tell <laughs> oh, me. Oh, yeah, it's in. It's on August the oh, 6th. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. That's awesome. Our restoration of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, I did I, did I tell you that it's um, my mum's favourite Australian film? No. Yeah. When I told her, she was just like, get what? Really? Yeah. I told her that you were going to come and have a chat to me, and she's like, shut up. <laughs> really? Yeah. Her, That's um, amazing. And her cousin, who's like an auntie to me, and we call her Black, it's, it's her favourite Australian film as well. Wow. Yeah. Loves it. Wow. And it blew me away. Yeah, it's pretty full on. It's <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How did oh. you um, cast him? Ton- oh, him. Here. Got her, yeah. Um, well, that was that was a bit of a saga. We uh, we went up to Japan a few times. I think we did three visits to Japan and visited and met a whole lot of Japanese actors. Um, and we met him and thought he was incredible, and he was. But he was, um, yeah, he was really centred and he, we did a few exercises with him and he was fantastic in them, so... We cast him from that, yeah. 
he went all the way to Japan. I thought he like really did come across as a fish out of water over here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, he didn't actually have so he didn't have a lot of English. He could speak and understand English, but not a lot, you know. So he, a lot of the work we had to do with um, with Go was through a translator. Yeah, so he did have the fish out of water experience, didn't he? And where were you predominantly in that? Uh, Over in the Pilbara. In, yeah, okay. Yeah. What an experience itself. Yeah. No, I, I think about it now. Because it's going on at MIF, you know, you start to think about it again because I haven't thought about it that much. Um, and Sue Mason and Alison and I thought, oh, that would be a good place to make it. We'll go over there. And there hadn't been anybody over there making films at the time. There have been a couple since. And you think it's it's incredible how audacious you can be at a certain age where you think, you know, oh, why not, you know, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah, no, I think why not, why but not? We, we moved the equipment over there on boats and things like that. Like, I mean, I didn't physically put it on the boat. Someone else put it on the boat. But do you know what I mean? It's big. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a huge film. Yeah, yeah. Tony yeah. Collette's huge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, she was, she was fairly big and she's even bigger now and... Um, we had to do all of that stuff of getting her over there and making sure she was looked after and all of all of that, you know. And so when you say the Pilbara, you mean Western Australia? Yeah, So you yeah. shipped gear out of the east side? Yeah, not sh- all of it, but but a lot of it had to go across and then over to Perth and then trucked up from um, Perth up to the Pilbara, yeah. And some of it we actually drove over. Some of the equipment we drove over, yeah. and some of it we got from Perth. Perth would say, you know, they got, we got it all from Perth, but we didn't. We had to bring a lot of it over at the time because they're quite geared up in Western Australia now for making films, yeah, but yeah. they weren't as much then. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, how long was that? How long were you over there for? Uh, I think we had a six-week shoot, something like that. How special. Yeah. I, yeah. I love being away on location. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. It shifts everything, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, especially if you can get a bit of that, you know, dirt under your fingernails. It sort of... I mean, I have a lot of admiration about how people do things with um, blue screen or green screen or whatever it is. I mean, I think it's an incredible skill, but there's nothing like being in the real place, is there? Sort of back to what we were talking about before about taking the photograph, you know? Yeah. You know, if you can really stop and breathe in the real place, it it has a sort of... An effect on the film, I think, and the work. Oh, I'm a hundred percent not interested in the the what you're saying the the animation and not animation. It's a different thing. But like, um, have you seen um, the Banshee? The the, the uh, new Colin Farrell, it's the Banshee. I know. Of, oh yeah, no, I know the film. You, I couldn't see it. Is it good? Unbelievable. And I just what I what I, what I think you're driving at then, and what I definitely resonate with is the just beautiful writing beautiful scenery like the writing is unreal and the relationship between those two guys it's so quirky and fucking like like there's some stuff happens that you're just like what the fuck is going on here yeah it's so simple yeah and that just is a knockout film and so you don't need all the bells and whistles if the story is like yeah yeah people love that film didn't they i i did uh, I did, and just going while we were there, I saw it in the same breath. I saw Triangle of Sadness. Oh yeah. Did you see that? No. Oh my god, they were the two two films that really inspired me 
to be like, like I just felt like I just saw bad film after bad film, mm. you know, like stuff coming out of the cinema now, like some of the stories, just mm. like, how's this getting funded? Mm. And then saw those two and I was like, oh, yes, yeah. it's still here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, people raved about that. I, th- I think I was going through a stage where a bit ginger at the time and I thought, oh, I think this might be a bit dark for me. I can't <laughs> cope with it but the 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 banshees yeah Yeah, well there is it's dark i mean but it's also slightly humorous in its darkness too yeah yeah i get that yeah Yeah. and they're great actors oh my god yeah really good to see colin farrell Mm. firing again Mm. because he had a little hiatus but i just yeah he's he's great i like he's very quirky i Mm. like quirky actors i tell you can i just say well i'm on this rant of films that I love is three billboards. Oh yeah, 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 fabulous, yeah. Sam Rockwell. Yeah, and th- 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 I mean that's a fabulous script about it. you think you're going somewhere and then it goes oh here's a surprise, <laughs> I'm dying of cancer you know with the you know with the cops whatever yeah and you think hmm, okay I'm not I don't I can't take this comfortably i you know i need to pay attention and she's incredible isn't she yeah everyone in there was Mm. stellar and and i think what you just said then everyone had that to some degree you Mm. think you're going somewhere because they all had that step off moment yeah in their own way yeah yeah woody's obviously been well no also um sorry what was her name francis Francis mcdonald oh my god i mean she she had yeah Losing her daughter was the biggest fall from grace, I think. Uh, uh. It's interesting, like even with Frances McDormand, you you know that you're in the presence of somebody real who takes the craft seriously, but not herself seriously. When she turns up at the academy and she looks like she's been dressed for my wardrobe, you know, like she's just she's just so like, oh, okay, this is the dress I've got to wear. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure somebody, some designer's done something, but. Well, I'm not sure about that, but there's something sort of, you know, she hasn't got a tits hanging out, and yeah. you know, you're not not being distracted by something about the presentation. Yeah. You know, she's talking about I did some good acting. I'm here, and I'm really pleased to that you liked it, and thanks. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's so, like I feel like that about the newsreaders sometimes. I think you know. You're only reading the news. Could you please put a proper shirt on? You know, oh my like God. You, know, oh, no. you know, I do not need to see your bosom because all you're doing is telling me about a car accident so or interest rates. You know, you're doing the weather. Yeah, I know you're doing the weather. That's the weather women drive me nuts because they're. So how hot is it again tomorrow? Yeah, I forgot. Because oh, you've been poured into that dress, and now we're seeing all of you. Telling us about yeah exactly you don't Not somebody listening. says to you did you listen to the weather and you think yeah. I think I did yeah, because sure. you've completely drifted off because they are sort of yeah distractedly in or they are distracting you in their outfits and you think I don't need to know that I just want to know if it's going to be raining or not was <laughs> <laughs> aren't I but you know no but anyhow Frances like, McDormand has yeah. has a an ability to feel like she is present and aware of what's happening around her and absorbing information and reacting to it in a very clean way um and you see that in the now i'm going to forget the name of the film but then the one that came after three billboards once she was in um there's also one academy awards directed uh, no 
It'll come to me in a minute. What? Where she's she's an itinerant, you know. She goes around in a she's in caravans and things. Well, no, doesn't matter. Oh, now I want to see it because she doesn't do bad films. It's great. I'll remember it in a minute. Yeah, okay. Um, Maybe I won't. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I, mean, I just wanted to throw... Yeah, I just get those those ones. They're exciting. So, um, yeah, well, this is great, Miff. Yeah, again. yeah, fabulous. Yeah, yeah, so so we restored it. Um, so well, it was, When you say restored it, it goes through a new it, sound? Or yeah, a, no, it's, uh, it was originally done on 35 mil, so we've put it onto 4K digital. And I was a bit... Well, both of us were a bit resistant to that at the start because, you know, isn't film the best and all the rest of it. But to be honest, it's stunning. It's just breathtaking going from to cleaning it and restoring the sound and restoring the image. It's just you watch it like you haven't seen it before. It's seriously. And the performances just seem to, you know, like you really notice tiny little breaths and flickers of eyes and things like that because you really inside the film in a way that I, I haven't been for years. So I've only seen it once on the big screen um, while we were doing the restoration. And um, so I'll see it again on that August the 6th, but um, it would be interesting to see it with an audience. Um, who played the cop at the in the third, is it like the third act, would you say? Like the, the cop. Comes and... Uh... Not Matt Tatinsky, not Matt the cop. Who's the cop? Oh, was he, he was the one that was. Oh, I do not. I don't think I'm going to be able to remember. I just remember he stood off from me, and I was like, "Oh my god, that!" I just I was like, "Interesting casting," and I liked. I really liked him. I was like, "Yeah, oh, yeah." Um, and oh, I know he's the one who said I was up just up the highway, and they rang me. Yeah, no, I'm not going to be able to remember his name. He's from Perth. Yeah, and I've seen he's, him in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, he's good. He's, he's good. very, very just like, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm doing a shrug of the shoulder here, yeah. which you can't see on podcasts. But it's sort of like I'm here and doing this scene, you know, it's yeah. Tony Collette, who cares? I was up the highway, that's all he has to say, you know, and uh, they called me, yeah, see you later. And it's just like. So Australian. I don't have to do anything more. I certainly don't have to do anything less, but I don't have to do anything more than this, you know. Is that what you mean? That yeah, way? yeah, yeah. 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 And mm. I've seen him in other stuff, and I, I like him too. Yeah, he's I can't great. think of his name either. Yeah. But um, yeah, so oh, that's great, awesome, well yeah. done. Yeah, it's good. And um, I, I jumped forward. I should have jumped backwards. I feel like when I was doing a bit of homework, but I didn't. You guys have been working together for so long. Yeah. Well, we met at film school, so it gives you an idea. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and Alison's just writing. Yeah, right now she's writing. Yeah, she's uh, as we speak writing. Writing, I think. yeah, <laughs> redrafting. Um, yeah, she's a, a very um, committed worker to writing and understanding film, and she reads, reads, and reads all all of the books about how to how to write, and she analyzes films and works out how they work and everything. But um, anyhow. Um, that's her job. So she's redrafting something that she started writing, I think, in the first year of COVID. So that's 2020. And she's just finished a draft of that. That goes off to the producer next week, I think. And this draft. will be you, you, you guys' next project? 
Well, if it gets that one gets financed next year. I mean, we've got three that are pretty much close to final draft. I mean, final, I mean, what do you call it? Finance ready, finance and casting ready. Um, you guys are busy. It, it, well, or stubborn. No, yeah, how <laughs> stubborn. Well, you've got to have a bit of both. <laughs> yeah, Alison's, Alison's pretty committed. She plugs away. Does she, she probably write most days. Yeah, so no, does she No, not on a, weekends, but she probably Yeah, okay. Yeah. But yeah. does she like, um, what's that book, uh, The War of Art? The Art of War. No, The War of Art. Uh, you know, about the commitment of getting up every morning and just like boots on in front of the... Not typewriter anymore, but computer. Yeah. That's her. And then... Um, probably less so now than she used to be, yeah. She would have, years for years, would have done that, um, especially when she was writing for television as well. Um, but if she's working, if she's on finishing a draft, she will give herself a block of time that she's going to finish it in. And that just, that's what she's doing. That's her priority. So even if she's taking time off to, you know, look at the waves or do the dishes, um, <laughs> it's sort of like it's it's the priority for the day, you know, um, and nothing else really can distract from that. It's hard, isn't it? And you, you need a lot of willpower to do that, I reckon. Well, you can't have any, like, feelings that you should be doing something else. No. Yeah, yeah. So they gotta be like, yeah, this, this is, is it. This is it, yeah. But they but writers love that, don't they? You know? They do. But I think anyone in, in any part of the creative pie and the circle of what it mm-hmm. is has to be feeling the same way in their part of that pie. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like for yourself. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, if I'm directing, that's it. Yeah. That's that's um it's probably when I'm directing I'm the most focused. I'm I am for anything, really. Or you've got a bone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, like, yeah. Yeah, it's good. You, you worry them through, don't you? Yeah, when you're directing. Well, you know. Well, I don't. I mean, I do a little bit, you know, with the l- latest one. You know, like lately, force of habit has had me produce and, you know, co-directed the late, latest one. Yeah. But having worked my way around the circle of all of it, I still think, you know, like I, I it, for me it's just I, I don't want to be idle. And yeah. if I'm solely like I just want to be an actor and then that's just like, you know, that, oh, well, that yeah. has not not worked. I just want to be this. So it's like, oh, I, I, I love storytelling yeah. full stop. So I need to facilitate and not just rely on one aspect of the, the, the that. Well, I think acting and waiting for someone to ring to give you a role or not, it's hard, really. Oh. Yeah. There's a lot of other things you can do with your day. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like I, I do, you know, I was listening to a podcast yesterday, actually. I had to go, I was driving to a job and um, I was listening to Mark Marin and Ice Cube. Don't know. Ice Cube um, is the rapper from oh, right. NWA. Oh. Do you remember that band from the yeah? Yeah. So NWA, and then he went on and he wrote. Um, he he got a role. He was given a role, sort of essentially, 
in Boys in the Hood. Oh, yeah. That was like a great yeah, yeah. film. And then off the back of that and through some sort of co- – he, he wrote Friday, which was like a uh, sort of a stoner. Yeah. Um, and I just listening to his journey and like the different shades of his career and different like – you know, he, he initially he was like, I'm just going to be a gangster rapper, you know. And then look at him now. He's like a well-rounded yeah, you know, actor, writer, rapper. Right. He's done, you know, he crosses a lot of different. Yeah. And and he was saying initially, I just wanted to be a rapper. And when someone wanted me to be an actor, I was like, dude, you know, I, I'm a rapper. I'm a rapper. It's <laughs> like someone saying, I've got a race car here, man. And I think you'd be good at driving, driving a truck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you'd be really good truck driver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just I listened to the whole thing. I was just so inspired, you know, mm. just by listening to him being able to diversify within the creative mm. realm. Um, yeah, and it just for myself, it was just uh, like, okay, okay, well, you know, universe help me out, but what's next? Yeah. I often think about this when I'm thinking about migrants, you know, when you hear, sorry, it's a digression that makes sense in a minute. No, yeah. But, you know, when you meet somebody and their their family moved out, of here, out here and like Tanya Pilbusek, for example, because I'm reading her book at the moment, and, you know, her father moved out here with, you know, this little suitcase. And you think, what sort of guts does that take to head off to the other side of the world without any language, you know, and just go, okay, I'm going to try something new. Like, I mean, I can barely try a different supermarket from the one I usually <laughs> go to. Do you know, <laughs> I get frustrated when they change where the porridge is. But, like, what sort of guts does that take to sort of up and go like that it's incredible isn't it and i know i i think about this as, as well and for these people they would have got a three-month boat ride yeah that's right that's the other thing yeah chugging along across an ocean going you know, don't know what you're going to turn up and what you're going to see and if they're going to like you or not and whether you get a job and where you're going to get your first meal from and then they fall in love and before you know it they've got six kids and a house in the suburbs and you think Hang on a minute. That's that's really clever. <laughs> really, really, really clever. Have you um, read? No, I didn't read. I listened to it. It was called Bullets and oh, I'm going to butcher the name. It was Bullets and Blood. Uh, I think a Hollywood story, uh, something like that. It was on podcasts and they took it off. So I'm assuming oh, someone's. Okay bought it or they're going to do something with it. But it was the story of the Warner Brothers. Oh, yes. No, I know, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, their parents fled Europe mm-hmm. under poverty conditions. Yep. I think the dad came first, saw that it was sort of okay, went back, got his wife and kids, and one of the kids died on the journey. Mm. And then they moved to Boston and they like were living in squalor. You know, and the story of just how it just put together, put together, put together and became mm. the Warner Brothers. Yeah. You know, and it, have you heard, seen it or heard of it? No, I don't. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. It's yeah. the same thing. Like that that story wasn't too uncommon that long ago, you know. And no, I know. that yeah. So many people have made those, done those stories and and made a success of it or whatever that means, but, you know, have lived a happy-ish life out of it and fruitful and proud and proud of what they've achieved and all the rest of it. But um, every time I hear it, even at this age, I still go, 
Really? You got on a bus with a, on a boat with a suitcase? Really? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I imagine, you know, I can't even imagine walking down to catch the bus with my suitcase and heading off to a new life, you know? Um, I know. And then you get wrapped up in like, I don't know, you know, it's just like we are so, we are fortunate that we get to live a creative life. Yeah, yeah. And we're not fighting to just, well, some Exist. days, some yeah. days <laughs> put food on the table, but, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, the amount of side hustle jobs it takes. But, uh, yeah, it's just a different, I suppose, everyone's living under a different time and circumstance. We are in the moment in a spot where we can choose. Oh, yeah. We're living in a pretty privileged time, to be honest. If they'd just stopped complaining about interest rates on the news, we'd be a lot better off I don't, than rent. But I'll tell you, yeah. just going back to what you are saying at the start, I have been looking at Wagner. Oh, yeah. And the the yeah. chef, yeah, 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 and yeah. just because when he went off the radar there, I was like, "Where? What is mm-hmm. this guy being murdered?" Was mm-hmm. it? Um, but how they're all in Africa. When you're talking about Africa, I was mm-hmm. like, you "Yeah, know, you're yeah, saying I know. Africa today." Yeah, those guys are bad news bears. Really bad, really bad. It's you know that's why this is such a sort of a a um, well, you know, it's such a comfortable pleasant experience to live here now like this without having to complain about and worry about the sort of things that those people are having to deal with you know right now yeah right now yeah yeah and i when you see the footage of ukraine i always think that you know that beautiful beautiful stunning buildings that are just completely no some just ordinary homes too but these stunning churches and things demolished and you think that's just gone families people families people gone and for what like it's just like yeah i know i don't know um can i ask you it's changing gears again because it's fucked oh i get stuck on the ukraine it's mm. like when, you know, if Virginia goes to bed before me, I go on the YouTube and I just start like, it's un- probably unhealthy and I just need to know, like, what, what is going on in here? Like, yeah. Um, but you're just never going to get a straight answer. But uh, anyway, um, the, the, looking at the, the, the context of filmmaking and what it was and what it is today, given this, the, the saturated market and all the different platforms and um, what's your take on the through line now, now that like, you know, it's harder to get a film to to get any time in a cinema or. Yeah, it's pretty hard to get a film in the cinema. It's pretty hard to get people to the cinemas except for our current little flurry of um, Barbie and and Oppenheimer. (laughs) What did I hear somebody saying last night is um, when one boat rises in the sea, they all do or something or other anyhow. So they're, they're saying there's an argument that the, those two films have brought people back to the cinema so now other films are doing better as well because it took a, it took that to get us out of our comforts or our uncomfortable zone of staying at home and watching everything on the TV because we don't go to the cinema anywhere near as much as we used to. Yeah, yeah. Do you, are you the same? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now they're saying people are getting used to going back out there again. 
I mean, one of the things that I think has been fabulous about the streaming stuff is that um, it it does require a lot of flicking to get to something you like. But what I do love about it is that you can find you, you can weave your way through to finding things that you love, um, and then you can be saturated with it. So we, for example, just watched the Ted Lasso. We, I know everyone else has watched it. Have you watched no, it? No, but oh, my okay. mum has just watched it too and she was raving about it. Okay, well, you, your mother and I have a lot in common there. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, but we watched Ted Lasso um, with a friend and and we just binged watched it. And I have to say it was one of the best weeks that I've had for years, like just best. We She... It has a house down in um, in Aries, and every night we'd work out what we were having for dinner, and then we'd one of one of the three of us would cook and shop, cook, and then we'd watch you know three or four episodes and go to bed and watch oh, three or four so episodes. Good. We watched three it's three it's three series like it was a lot of television, <laughs> and and it was. You know, you lit the fire, you were comfortable, you were in your tracky dacks, you didn't have to find, worry about parking. And anyhow, my point is it it's a very kind series and it's got a very kind heart and if you need that in your life, you can find it readily and you can, and, and you can enjoy it readily together with, with company. And... Um, so I think it's fabulous. I mean, I think that part of it is absolutely fantastic. And I think you can see all sorts of really great material being made and you can find your own, weave your own, own way through as an audience to find that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. But the thing that I don't like is that there's so much also so much negative stuff and so much horror and scary stuff and I have to f- constantly find a way of getting away from that and because I, I don't like it. So um, I'm just trying to think. Like something I've been really looking forward to on the ABC the other day, I won't mention the series because, you know, mm-hmm. it's not kind to yep. do it. But, you know, it was a comedy coming up and I've been looking forward to it, looking forward to lo- looking forward to it. And in the first scene they shoot somebody in the head and, the, you know, whatever. And I think, all right, you need to know that she's at serious risk. But seriously, do I have to see this? It's a comedy, you know, like mm-hmm. I I have trouble with that. A lot of people do. Do they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm friends with a fellow, I won't say his name. He's a real big burly dude yeah. and you wouldn't think it. Yeah. But he's like, he can't watch, doesn't like to, doesn't like the way it makes him feel. And I really has made me really question my own uh, thirst or um you know, tolerance like, for it. Tolerance for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of people have tolerance for it. I don't. I don't. You know, that's not a problem. But I'm like him. I don't like being scared. I don't. Oh, I do I, not like feeling anxiety. Anxious. anxious. Yeah. Like yeah. some of those psychological thrillers where it's just like mm. I'm paying for an anxiety attack right now. Yeah, like what the? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, don't. Yeah. yeah. You're pa- I'm paying you to make me feel bad. I don't want it. Yeah. And now I have to watch the whole thing because I know you, if I watch the whole thing, you'll land me and I'll feel better. But I don't want to watch the whole thing, so I bail, and that makes me really, really angry because then I've already had the scare or the fear, but I haven't been smart enough to go through to watching it to be landed. I mean, that's the journey, isn't it? Like we will scare the 
but Jesus out of you and will land you. Mm, and the then end. you'll well, feel okay because you've been landed. Yeah. But if you don't want to go on that journey and you just think you're watching a comedy and it, they do it to you, you think, oh, no, please don't. I mean, I know genre mixing's all the rage and everybody does it now and where there's no boundaries and all the rest of it, but there is still a contract with your audience and if you advertise it as a comedy, then... Yeah, comedy it should be. I don't want to be... Yeah, scared. I don't want to be frightened. <laughs> Shocking, isn't it? And you know, I've I've copped this myself as a filmmaker. I know to be I've I've really copped that on looking for grace. But we'd have to talk about the contract in looking for grace to, and because I do know you know, and I I am aware of that uh, whether that contract was broken or not in looking for grace. Interesting. Mm. Um, I I didn't feel you didn't feel cheated. No. No, can can you expand? You don't have to be. Well, no, it's just that um, you have to see the film to know what we're talking about. But I thought I was in control of the material and I was delivering what I was hoping audiences would feel was a satisfactory and understandable ending. But I have had an experience with a good friend of mine who said, after many years, who said to me, no, I, I don't like, I don't like it. I felt cheated. So it's interesting. You, I mean, like when you make a piece of art or film, you know, when you're out there on the edge with stuff, you don't you you don't know what people are taking on board, and you don't know how they're going to react to it. Um, and it goes out, and then the rest of it's up to the, up to what they bring to it and how they feel about it. So. Um, you were re-watching Arrested Development. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah. It's, for me, it's the, I just love it. Yeah. I love yeah. Jason Payman. Yeah. And his brother. Yeah. Um, what's his brother's name? Anyway, that's the humour is so, like, yeah, I, I, I find myself chuckling away. It's a yeah. feel-good one for me. Yeah. 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 Um, well, you'll have to watch Ted Lasso. I'm going to definitely have to watch Ted Lasso. I said to Mum the other night, oh, I don't know. It's the one about the guy that goes from America to London. Is that right? For that's, soccer? That's the one. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll have to. And my cousin in America also was like, dude, you haven't seen Ted Lasso yet? I'm like, no. Okay. I think it's, I think it's resonated with people because it's kind and he's kind and we needed it. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I do. <laughs> Wow, the, the world's a rough place. And um, especially off the back of the last, you know, it's so funny, isn't it? Those those few years that we've just had, I was talking to Virginia about it yesterday, just like no one's talking much about that. No, I think that's interesting. It's like we survived it. Now what? <laughs> We're all like, now what? <laughs> you keep calm and carry on. Exactly. <laughs> Did that happen? Yeah. How long was that again? What the what? Yeah, people talk about the different lockdowns. I think which one was that? Like yeah, I've got not... some sort of like some sort of vague amnesia about the whole thing. I yeah. remember different things, like you know, but sometimes I think how many were there? I don't know. I had COVID twice. You had it too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I had it really badly um, the first time, and I think I 
I don't know. Like, I think I've had it again, but I haven't tasted positive the second time. Uh-huh. But I've had something that's bugged me around. Virginia came back from China recently. And she had it and I didn't get it. Wow. Isn't that odd? Yeah. Ah. And I stayed here. Yeah. And I was just waiting. Yeah. I was like, I kept surfing. I was like, all right, well, if I, I'm, I'm not, I feel like okay today. I'm going to go for a surf. Huh? It might be the last one for a bit, but it never happened. Didn't get it. Yeah. Dodged it. Yeah, so something right. Um, Sue, hmm. I want to say thank you so thank much. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. have to stop. Yes. No, we don't have to stop. No, we do have to stop. Oh, yeah. we have to stop. Yeah. But I've, I've, I've loved yeah, it and, and I really appreciate you coming around. Thanks. Not that far. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All okay, right. thank you. Stop. Okay, whoever you are out there in the wide world, thank you so much for lending me your ears. I really do appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation that I had with Sue. I told you she's an amazing, amazing human being. Um, Sue, thank you so much for coming over and and being so open and and honest and sharing. I I truly appreciate it. yeah, and who, whoever else is out there in the wide world, I hope this finds you smiling, you know. Um, I think I think something that we touched on in the conversation was, uh, you know, like um, how, how, how story, cinema, the, uh, TV in general can permeate our, our subconscious and, and just to be, you know, like careful on what we're feeding on, you know, because the world is going in a funny way and I just like mm, for myself too, uh, you know, my late night binging on Wagner, um, I you know, just got to be mindful of what we're feeding our brain. So I'm not telling you what to do. You do what you do. You, I'm just, I'm really just talking to myself. I'm really just talking to myself. Anyway, whoever you are out there in the wide world, I hope you're having a good one. And until next time, thanks again and adios.